Hello and welcome to another marvelous edition of Chopped Greens. And we are coming here on Halloween, not Eve, not post, whatever the day after would be. No, it's the day. It is the one, the only, the Halloween special with Gary Boucher and myself, Philip Amarayan. Gary, you... I would say look scary, but you're just you're just uh, you're just normal right now. You're in a regular shirt. I'm in a I'm in a, a tank top. I guess is what they would call it. Yeah, I can see your your chest bush in all of its glory. Unfortunately, I don't <laughs> I don't have one of those. But yeah, we are taking our entire Halloween for you, the listener. So it's better be good. Yes, and <laughs> and for those that have uh, you know dyslexia um, and can't read. Uh, the episode title or whatever cute little title we decided to put on it. Today, in honor of Halloween, we have decided to review Cabin in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Now, we've, us, at least personally, and of course Chopped Greens as a whole, has reviewed a lot of, uh, you know, specials as far as uh, movies go, whether it be Christmas and of course Halloween horror films. This, as far as uh, specialized themed uh films go this i'll give it away is what has been one of my most pleasurable normally whenever we have to go the route of christmas special or halloween special or you know easter special whatever whatever that may be (laughs) Uh, there's gotta uh, be an easter bunny horror movie out there right well there's an independence day film so i mean if there's independence day i mean i mean anything's possible yeah uh and then I think, what, The Patriots, probably 4th of July. Yeah. So, <laughs> but anyways, uh, as far as themed episodes go, I this has been one of my favorites. How about you? Yeah, I, I'm happy we can agree on this one, man. This is one of my all-time like favorite horror movies. If you can even classify it as that, it's definitely even greater. But yeah, I, I had such a great time watching this. I, I watched it with my mom. It totally blew her mind. She'd never seen it. And it's just, uh-huh. a, it's so well done, man. And it holds up. It's been a while since it's come out. And between 2010 well, and wh- now... 2010? I mean, well, I, or 2012, maybe. But if you... Th- yeah, 20, 2011. If you think about it, though, between then and now... We had like this horror renaissance. Horror blew up in the last decade after Absolutely. this movie came out, and the movie is still one of the best ones. Absolutely, and like you said, I think part of the brilliance of it is that it does not stick to just horror, um, as as a lot of horror films tend to do. Now, a lot have, like you said, with the renaissance that has occurred, many of them have transcended just the horror and and stifling within that genre, and and this. At least for for our generation, seem to have kickstarted that trend. Um, I believe that because it falls into this nuanced category of not just horror, not just comedy, but uh, it 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 almost has a a, a, a mystery of it. Um, and and that's yeah. probably where best to start off with. So I found that the most Absolutely, the most fascinating aspect of this film, because this was not the first time that I had seen it, so knowing, going into it, yeah. what it was going to be, the fir- knowing that it was, um, that that it was all a setup, for lack of a better term, um, I th- still think whenever you're first watching this, sometimes you can't, like, you're, you're kind of skeptical, as most horror films can be, but the fact that it was so forward with that, with that information, I think was actually quite brilliant because it led itself to two other reveals that 
it, it could have played around with because of its runtime and it only had like an hour and 40 minutes. It yeah. certainly could have played with that more had it wanted to, had it been more coy about it, just, you know, holding up the, and they're having no pretense and just going full forward with the cliche and going to a point. Um, but what it allows it to do is for you to gain at least some uh, comfortability, some association with the background characters yeah. that are uh, Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins playing uh, Sitterson and Hadley um, in the background, the the puppeteers as, as they were referred to in the film. And I really, I really appreciate that that they didn't waste time with that. There's a lot that they quote unquote wasted time with, but it all was all in good fun. And that is something that I think astutely written and, and directed towards was left alone and, and just given to you as an audience member. Yeah. I mean the, the fact that within like the first scene, they kind of let you know that there's some kind of a, a twist or a ruse going on. And then really quickly, they tell you kind of exactly what it is. Of course, there's like the, the whole ancient ones thing doesn't, isn't revealed until later, but it, you know, it's revealed pretty quickly. Like these guys are puppeteers and they are controlling these people being murdered in a very cliche way. And, it gives you a different perspective as the viewer because on one hand there are some parts that are kind of genuinely scary like a real horror movie and then on the other hand it's funny and you're also rooting for both sides because you kind of want these terrible people Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins and the I don't know what what their organization would even be called I don't think that they have a name um, you want them to succeed the US but, government maybe the, yeah the the, the <laughs> intro, I, I have no idea yeah that's what they're kind of going with it's, it's, yeah some secrets like society yeah whatever and um you're on the journey with you know the five sacrificial lambs who are going through it but it, since you get to watch it from both sides and like you said it unfolds like like a mystery it's it's engaging in so many different ways there's a few genuinely suspenseful or terrifying moments for me actually the, the scariest moment in the film is when uh the blonde girl is making out with the wolf and you're waiting for her to get her face bit off and it doesn't happen but that build so much tension because really when the family comes it's not uh, that scary because it turns into like an action movie mixed with you know you're kind of on the journey with the puppeteers trying to get it all done and so it's the most unique horror movie viewing experience you know you have movies like get out that are excellent great with social commentary but i don't think another film by the way with a horror film with bradley whitford with bradley whitford doing his little sarcastic uh yeah. kind of a-hole vibe yeah this i was actually just thinking about that yeah but that movie obviously groundbreaking more important than cabin in the woods but cabin in the woods uh, makes you feel so many different things so um, it's sa it's so it satisfies a lot yeah. of topics right so when you first start off like you said Yes, they give you the cliche opening and beginning. And even, I, I don't know, I, <laughs> I had not seen Evil Dead prior to this film my first time. So now, having just freshly watched that that milk-inducing uh, film, <laughs> going into the cabin in the woods, the actual location, I actually, I mean, for me, it, it not only was an ode, it looked almost directly, exactly like mm -hmm. the cabin in the woods in Evil from, Dead. From the Latin in the basement, and it, I mean, it was like tit yeah, for tat. It was almost, it was more than a note. It was almost just like a burning, scalding. I mean, if it were a, if it were an Avenger uh, reference, it would just be Tony Stark just running around yeah. in, in, a, in an Iron Man suit. I mean, it was so blatant almost. And I, I, I can appreciate that as a, as somebody who's, as somebody who's not 
wholly invested in the horror genre, I can imagine that there are people that are just, you know, totally into this genre and love it and are intense, intensified within the genre and just absolutely were going gaga over every reference possibly made. And there are there are reference upon reference upon reference within yeah. everything, whether it be the cabin itself, whether it be the items that they play with, and whether it be just even going back to the betting board um, that they talk that they reference um, within the, the selection of choosing for the five characters. There's a lot of references to other horror films that are are truly paying homage and not just um, not just there for for fluff or or to make you feel satisfied with the film. And you're right, there are moments in there that are truly that do act as horror or jump scare. There's even a jump scare with uh, the character who plays Mordecai. And I, I was, and that seemed to be one of the few and I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, th- that's what you get with, uh, with Joss Whedon. I mean, for 30 plus years, he, he's been working and he works in genre, but always puts a twist on it. You know, I love Firefly. It's one of my all time favorite shows. I encourage you to, to watch it if you haven't, but it's it's like a space western that has its own unique flair. Of course, he did the first Avengers movie. He did Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you can see his fingerprints all over it. The dialogue is great, um, There's and there's always something a little bit out of left field. And yeah, and it's funny that it references Evil Dead in the beginning, because Evil Dead is a ridiculous horror movie, and if you, if you know that going into this movie, if you've seen Evil Dead, it's not like it's referencing, I don't know, The Ring or something that's supposed to be very somber and terrifying. Evil Dead's, like, absurd. And so <laughs> I think just the fact that it does that right off the bat kind of sets the tone. That there that there's an underlying comedic ability yeah. to this film because it really does weave the two uh, almost fluidly, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, when we look at characters that are supposed to be felt one way, these characters certainly were multi-layered and i will admit upon first viewing i no no no. let me let me rephrase this i think upon a second viewing you can actually appreciate the writing for the characters in their initial setup i i will admit that i i i ignored a lot of what the setup was for each character and to see that there was something alarming that they did not fall directly into the stereotypes that they should have or that they would have in the archetypes of what the sacrifices demanded and so therefore it would have become a more um natural uh jarring effect where they're like what is happening here where that where when marty is slowly figuring things out where it it feels more deserved so maybe that's just because i knew where it was going that i was able to spot that on the second one and maybe that's too convoluted i don't i don't it's it's a it's a musing of a of a critique but I I do appreciate a lot of the writing and e- even the comedy. The comedy itself just hits on so many levels. I I I found it hard to find what seemed to be a failed joke. Like even even in super intense serious uh, moments. I mean, again, if we're talking about Josh Whedon, I mean Josh uh, Whedon, his his ability to take a completely serious moment have that standalone and then juxtapose that with a with a comedic moment that doesn't necessarily come at the cost of the prior moment is yeah. unparalleled like when uh when the Hemsworth of uh, that we are treated to uh Chris uh 
is, is skinny, going is skinny, making uh, his escape. Yeah. yeah. And he says, for jewels. <laughs> and then they just <laughs> just totally eat shit through no fault of his own. It it was able to. It's one of the best moments, man. <laughs> I, I know. It's one of the best moments. It's completely oh, memorable. And I, while you may be disappointed that you no longer get Chris Hemsworth in anymore in the film, I don't think it robbed the previous moment or the character itself of any of its glory. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's funny because yeah, the movie opens with Bradley Whitford and Richard Richard Jenkins talking about like how uh, Bradley's wife has baby proofed their house, and it's like a three minute scene of them kind of like complaining about like wives. And then it goes cabin in the woods, <laughs> and you know going in, you know if you don't know what it is, you're like what what the hell is going on? And then I I think that those are are the two performances that you actually stick with in in the film that that matters. Funny you said you know we don't have you're Chris talking Sitterson and Hadley. Yeah. Yep. Okay. The two head men in the uh, puppeteering room, because n- none of the other performances to me really are anything, and you know. They're not, they're not supposed to be, yeah. Exactly, yeah. they're not supposed to be. Even, I mean, it's played to a T because Marty is like the best audience surrogate of all time, but he's also the fool in the movie, so yeah, it's going to get so meta. But it, it works on uh, on a lot of levels because they're supposed to be archetypes, you know. And yeah, the, uh, anytime we, we cut back into the um, the uh, control room, th- those are my favorite sequences probably in, in the whole movie. No, absolutely, and... And there's just so much ingenuity within this film, too. I mean, even when you go to... So, when you first watch, and you're just like... It's just developing as it goes along. The fact that it's so cliche um, can be can be a, a, a tad bit boring, right? So, when they select, you know, the redneck zombies, and, and you know, it's funny. They're like, no, no, two, two completely different beings here. I, I forget what he exactly compared it to. Zombies but, and then redneck zombie torture family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where he's like, there's just two separate beings altogether. Yeah. That's that's delightful. But upon first viewing, I, I certainly thought going forward that was all that we were going to be treated to. And so when you move forward within the film and there in the, the entire elevator sequence, um, the fact that we get not only clowns, which is great, but bulletproof clowns, and then just random unicorns, uh, of the course, the unicorn is great. Yeah, the unicorn is just hilarious, and and after a while, it's just it's absurdity that just altogether blends and is so well done. Um, well, and and we get into that sequence really quickly because oh yeah, I, I was watching it with, with my mom, and she's like, oh my god, like the, these kids are dying so fast because you know typically there's a little bit more setup, but it's like we need to get the cliche horror movie out of the way because the movie completely turns on its head with about probably 25, 30 minutes left once they go underground and it moves so fast and it hits all these beats. It's like, yep, the the quote-unquote horror gets killed, the jock gets killed, this guy gets killed, and then complete 180. That's so true, actually. That's, that's a very good point that you said. There's really no no time to breathe and the pacing is, is con- consistent enough that you never... Truly, I've never felt bored in the entire film. And the entire time held my attention, made sure that I was gripped and glued towards what was going on, even if I wasn't fully grasped, fully aware, uh, you know, obviously. And, and there's things that they keep you out of the light on as it pertains to the film. Even with that being said, completely worthy of your attention and, and intrigues you, never leaves you in a place where... 
you're just like, wait a minute, hold on, what, 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 what went on? Like, it always does feel purposeful to a point where, like, even when they first yeah. start talking about, you know, like you said, their wives, uh, but then they trans transition to Sweden or something, and they're like, oh, you never trust the Swedes or whatever. And um, and you, again, that that entire opening sequence is 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 completely refreshing watching it upon the second time than it is the first time. But that doesn't mean that you get absolutely yeah. nothing out of it the first time. It's it's uh, funny if you watch it with with subtitles, you notice more. And Joss oh, Whedon's yeah. like a, a legend in writing that that quippy dialogue. Those are my favorite parts of all of his superhero movies. Um, and his TV shows is, is the kind of fast paced quippy dialogue. And immediately the first scene is Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins. Bradley Whitford's like one of the back best. And forth. Yeah, he's one of the best quippy dialogue actors ever. And so it's it's just music to my ears, man. Yeah, and I mean, are are we going to talk about? I truly can't think of a better horror film recall than The Merman. The Merman yeah. <laughs> is has has to be the greatest recall of all horror film history. And that's that's something that is like that's a lot, but my god, that is, that moment is so incredibly earned mm-hmm. and and it blends in so well with the rest of it cuz it's like it's so it's so it's almost like uh, like flour in in a in a piece of dough, you know. You just melt it melted in so well, and it just you, wow, what a metaphor, man! <laughs> I know it, it melted in so well, and you just made sure that that within the rest of the confusion, it completely goes unnoticed. But you know that that's something, and then he he gets concussed. He's he's right there, and then slowly we just hear this. <laughs> and it's like come on and you know he doesn't even need to say it you just know it was it was beautiful writing beautiful it's, it's also great because the merman is horrifying to look at hideous <laughs> it's absolutely, absolutely horrifying <laughs> and and that's something of a boon too i i i as a person who doesn't fully invest in horror this was a film that i didn't necessarily need to like fully be terrified of to also be like oh yeah no that's that's absolutely terrifying but it didn't give me like nightmare chills where like you know if this were evil dead oatmeal would be coming out of its mouth just exactly just un- unnecessarily unceremoniously yeah, you can you can look at it objectively you see all these monsters and you're like wow that's horrifying but at that point in the movie it's interesting because yeah like i said earlier in the movie there's a few actual spine tingling kind of drawn out tense moments like regular horror movies but yeah once we get to the i guess i'll call it the monster mash it's Ooh. it's it's terrifying, but it's so fun. And yeah, you're not actually scared, but you're like, wow, murder family, evil giant bats, um, this weird guy with the saw blades in his head holding a little egg. I mean, I I hated all of it. It was so scary, but great. <laughs> I hated all of it. Yeah, there's something in there for everybody that you would you would get terrified by. They yeah. they nailed every single fear. I I feel like it it be you'd be hard pressed to find one outside of a fear of heights. Maybe, maybe. Anyways, I I this transitions me though to a to a good point of. I wonder if you, Gary Boucher, because as much as we're both enjoying this film, I would say that there is a major critique of the film, and I'm wondering if and what your biggest critique of the film would be. Um, and if I we think have the same one. What one of the first thing that that jumps out to me is even though there's a lot of monsters later on, I think that they could have milked it a little bit more if they chose a different monster than a crazy zombie zombie torture redneck family. Um, it's, oh, as like the main yeah yeah as as the monsters that come in, um, they're not that scary and they're not super inventive. But when when they go downstairs, there's like a million inventive monsters there. I feel like they could have reached down into the 
into the stock a little bit and chosen something. But I, I guess it's like you can say, oh, well, it's supposed to be like a cliche and kind of lame, but I, I, I still think that you could have accomplished it with with a different monster and it would have been better. And then, I don't know, yeah, the, the performances of the main cast are kind of bland and I know that that's purposeful, it's, like we said, say, but it's it so can hard still to be say better. When, when it's so obviously everybody's supposed to fit their role, the only one who are kind of given any sort of leeway are Citizen and Hadley, which are Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford. Both, both seem to be the only ones that are kind of able to transcend their roles. Marty's good, but he's just a very funny audience yeah. surrogate. You know? Yeah, yeah, he's he's the he's the the guy in Scream who just gives you the the outer lay of everything. So yeah. Um, and and uh, your critique is is not unfounded. I I think, for my me personally, I think it certainly it had it been more inventive, had it been I don't know the ballerina or something. I think it would have taken away. So the fact that it was so mundane again plays into the stereotype that it all demands. So that I I I could push back on it a little bit, but more so than that, my absolute biggest critique of it is. It, it's a presence of Sigourney Weaver and, and not, not necessarily her, but it's just like the moment she steps on the film. Yes. It's like, I feel like that's where the film absolutely just like it, it should have ended there almost. I, I don't know how you do it or it could have ended in the elevator scene. Maybe, I don't know, but it, it felt like about 10 to 15 minutes too long. Cause I did not want to, the ending that we got was not the ending that it's... that film deserved. It's so fast too. It's funny because I'm like, what? What else? Would, I mean, if you cut out 15 minutes, it's like barely over. An I know hour that of that is the time. that that is the problem. Is that it, it is straight to the point and it doesn't have a lot, and a lot of the fat is trimmed. But you know, same, maybe that's a good point. I mean, if they had maybe some more build up to the the ancient ones. I mean, it, it is funny that they bring Sigourney on there because it kind of pulls you out of it because you're like, oh, it's Sigourney Weaver, not like. Oh, who who's this character? You're like, oh, I know her. Right, but but beyond that, Gary, it's more just so how it so abruptly ends. I I almost would have preferred a mysterious ending of like where she does kill him because I thought that that would have that that in and of itself. While we didn't get that ending, that was the ending I thought that the film actually deserved, rather than the than the quote unquote happy ending that was neither happy nor satisfying of the the hand coming out. I I didn't I didn't enjoy that ending. That kind of brings me to yeah, I mean like what the I don't know if this movie is trying to say anything like theme-wise. I mean, it's not very heavy-handed, but I think that right. I guess that's uh, along the lines of if the movie was trying to say something maybe like I mean, it it starts off and there's these humans who are basically um, th- they have an actual obligation to to kill and torture other humans to appease these gods, but they go wrong because they they actually kind of enjoy it on a personal level, and then you know the Quote point unquote, is letting off steam. Exactly, and, and and the point is made that like you know, well, humanity is really not worth it. I mean, it's one thing to sacrifice people, and, and Marty says it. He's like, if you sacrifice someone, you know, put them up on a stone slab and cut them open. Don't do all of this, and then they come to the conclusion that well, it's it's not it's not worth it. We we should all die anyways. And I guess that's the big critique of the movie is about you know humanity or whatever but it definitely got, I mean, it, it really ramps up you know I think had I feel like the way that they ended it was so much more definitive definitive than had they gone the opposite way had she killed him I think then we can it it's an ending that we can open up to discussion of was that That's the correct move 
Um, was that was that right? Did, were there points made on both sides? Was the you know ethically we can have other ways, but the fact that we I guess it's almost doomed to fail in a film that that goes against the grain in many forms and cuts against its own genre most of the time. It it's funny that a film that was enjoyable from beginning to end because normally well till near end um, normally horror films become enjoyable once the action starts. So it's interesting that this film had had been enjoyable from start to the near end and then just flips on its head. And and I think that... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it, it gets very... Uh, it slows down after the, the monster mash and then they... Yeah. It's, but... it, it gets very, very talky, I guess. And uh, that is interesting to think about if they would have done it the other way because none of the characters really change at all over the course of the movie, which is like, you know, the most engaging part of a narrative is a person changing, but Marty nor uh, Jules really change at all. And Jules shooting Marty would be like a way more sinister ending because it's like Dana. This... You mean? Oh, Oh, is Dana the virgin? Yeah, Jules is the, the uh, Jules projected is blonde. blonde yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so if Dana would have killed him, that, that ending's a lot more sinister actually, because she has, you know, become part of the system now and she killed a man in cold blood, even though it was for the betterment of, of, of humanity, she kind of compromised her morals. But in the end, she doesn't end up doing anything, which I guess is kind of a a weird Cop way, a safe and boring ending. Yeah. A safe and boring ending, but still with showing us the ramifications of it with the hand. I mean, oh, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I found it such a deflating ending and one that just felt completely hokey. It's almost like that film, um, The Knowing with, or the or Knowing with uh, Nicolas Cage that Nick came Cage, out. Yeah. yeah, where it just, it's such a, such a deflating ending that, and that comes up from a film of such, of such a good premise that it's just, it's so disheartening to see a film that had so much steam, had so much thing, that by the time we reach the end, you don't leave the film with a question, you leave it with a dissatisfying answer. So I, I'd say that that's my my biggest, saddest takeaway from this film. But again, saying that that comes from a horror film, still I think it is at least thought-provoking if you if you mentally cut off the film at a certain point for yourself. Yeah, it, it didn't detract, I guess, as much for me as it did for you, but, but that is a good point because... You know, the entire movie is is a mystery and it's really exciting to be involved with that mystery. And then when it's explained to you straight up by Sigourney Weaver, it's kind of like, oh, okay, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And again, just to be abundantly clear, it wasn't Sigourney Weaver herself. It was the embodiment of like her appearance that for me. Um, Come to find out Gary just hates Sigourney Weaver more. than. Yeah, I know. I just add (laughs) add her to the list. Her and the Chris's, which, by the way, you're not alone. Everybody else uh, that that's a recent, somewhat recent development. Everybody else, um, for those who are new to the podcast, it's, it's Gary is notorious for hating, bagging on, and just despising, I dare say, of Chris Pratt. And recently... It's totally untrue. I have a Star-Lord tattoo, guys. Totally untrue. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's no, he's notoriously known for just completely bagging on the poor guy. And Twitter who, who, who and the social more? media as a I, whole has joined you, my friend. So congratulations. You, you, are, you are not alone. Who, okay, who, who hates this thing? I mean, do I hate Chris Pratt more than you hate kids? Um, Philip hates children. I, I under thirteen. I hate. I, <laughs> I hate. I hate Bryce Dallas Howard more than you hate Chris Pratt. Well, I hate her more than I hate Chris Pratt too. 
But see, then the, then the then the whole thing just just falls under, and there's a big giant hand, and it's Bryce Dallas Howard's hand, and it ends the podcast, and that's just unsatisfying. So yeah. let's just take it back and wish that you never said that. All right. So out of uh, zero to five survivors, how many survivors good is this horror film? Uh, zero being the best, five being the worst. We're gonna completely turn it on its head as this film has done. Okay, zero is the best. I. I wish I could watch this movie again for the first time because it's really, it's such a great experience. Uh, I'm not going to say it's perfect, but it's really unique, really well done. I'd probably give it like, um, let's say a 0.5, like everyone survives, but, but the last guy gets cut in half and he's just a, a torso at that point. So yeah, I'll go, I'll go, you know what I'll do is I'll give it like, uh, I'll give it a, a survivor and a, and a leg. So like 1.3, uh, 1.3 and you know, like some, he's, he's just walking out of the, the dome you know, with, with somebody's leg, you know, Jerry, you know, something. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> Jerry! it's <laughs> Jerry survived in my heart and in, in my hands. Cause I'm holding his leg, Aww. but yeah, uh, I, I would give it 1.3, um, com- and almost entirely because of the ending. Like I was completely there until the ending. It, it kind of just, just deflated for me, um, because of that, but that's, that's my own thing. I, I still would advise other people to see this, especially as a horror film, as it's rated as such. Great experience, and and especially not that not that scary. I, I I dare say, as good a horror film for the masses as there is. Yeah, oh, and there's some fantastic moments. I mean, it, I feel like a lot of good movies are good because of the you know a few select moments, and this is. I mean, for me, like, Turner has a couple. Yeah, when when all the elevator doors open and the monsters, uh, there's like a, a two second breath, and then all the monsters come out. Great moment when when Marty flicks open his coffee bong and <laughs> it comes it comes to the rescue. I mean, there's Ka-ching. yeah, and then I've, I mean Chris Hemsworth hitting the, <laughs> the oh he's flying through the air for way too long, and then he just tumbles down. Oh Obnoxiously long. It's yeah. so funny. <laughs> oh. Well, my friend, that is the end of this cabin. We have we have made it out alive, and um, and you know what? I cannot wait for the next episode uh, after this, which will be our Gimme Five. I'm sure that it has inspired us. And you know what? For everybody listening out right here, right now, we want you to have a safe and happy Halloween. Wear wear a costume that involves a mask, if possible. You know, this year I fully endorse everybody being Jason. Um, <laughs> make sure that if you are handing out candy, you know, do everybody a favor and dress up as a surgeon and uh, wear some gloves and, you, and you know, give everybody some candy and, and, uh, and being gloves. So just be safe this, this Halloween. And, uh, yeah, Gary, uh, happy, happy Halloween, you baby Ruth, you. <laughs> I have nothing to say to that. That was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for, uh, Gary Boucher. Yes, I'm Philip Amorine. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chopped Greens. Uh, We will see you next episode. Happy Halloween.